Champions League refoot. Champions League football <laughs> returns to the carpet. Arsenal take on PSV Eindhoven in their first game back in Europe's Premier Competition. We'll be focusing on that fixture right here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. I made a mess of that intro, didn't I? Bloody hell. Thanks for joining us. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Well, that was a great start to sh- to the show. Me, ever the professional, as you guys know. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Welcome back to another live episode of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by the 90-min football family. Um, really, really excited about this one. Really, really excited about the fact that we get to talk about Arsenal being back in the Champions League. Arsenal return to Europe's Premier Competition for the first time since the 2016-17 season. It feels like an age because it has been an age, but Arsenal are back sitting at Europe's top table. And I cannot wait to get down to Emirates Stadium tomorrow night, hear that anthem, take it in and watch the Arsenal hopefully pick up three points to start off Group B in the perfect fashion. Um, as I say, hope everyone's good. Hope everyone's well. Thank you guys, uh, as always, for joining me in the live chat. Always appreciate your company uh, as we record these. It's always great to get you guys' thoughts and questions as well uh, in the live chat box. It makes the show. Uh, I have to say that it's the only reason that I can do a podcast by myself, because I've got that interaction constantly throughout the program. If you don't have that, then they'd be pretty boring, wouldn't they? Maybe they're boring already. You can tell me that. You can let me know. Um, Let's say a few hellos uh, to some of you joining us in the live chat at the moment. We have got uh, Creambone. How's it going, mate? We've got uh, Zed Tom, who says, good morning, everyone. Looking forward to a nice Europa League game on a Wednesday. Um, Obviously, he's joking. Uh, We've got Temi. We've got Damien. uh, We've got Fatality. We've got Wesbird. We've got Matt, who joins us from Chicago. Uh, we've got Osua Aboneni as well, who joins us. He says, we're winning the Champions League this season. I hope so. I hope so. And Wes Bird says, we are back, baby. Come on, you Gunners. Big hello to Junior Gunner as well, who also joins us in the live chat. Um, don't forget, if you haven't done so already, leave a like on the video. You know what you're going to get by now. Like the video, subscribe to the channel if you're brand spanking you and help us on our journey towards 30,000 subscribers here on the YouTube channel. Remember, if you're listening on audio as well, please do leave us a review. That really, really does help. So what are we going to be talking about on this episode of the podcast? We're going to be discussing Arsenal's return to the Champions League and what it means for the football club. We'll also look into what we can expect from PSV Eindhoven. Uh, We'll discuss our history against the Dutch outfit. We'll discuss our team. What do we expect Mikel Arteta to do in terms of team selection? What would I do in terms of the team selection? And I'll get some of you guys' thoughts from the live comments as well. We'll share a prediction and we'll do some Q&A. Now, at the time of recording this, it's important to note that Mikel Arteta is yet to face the media ahead of this one. That press conference is due to take place in around about three and a half hours' time. Um, We will reflect on that podcast in a uh, bonus edition reflect on that podcast, reflect on that press conference in a bonus edition of our podcast, I should say, uh, which will be with you guys either later tonight or first thing tomorrow morning. So uh, keep your uh, eyes open for that one. It will be dropping in all of the usual places. Uh, What else have we got in the live chat? We've got a junior gunner joining us from the sunny streets of South End. The weather has turned, man. Um, I am wearing a jacket 
like it, the weather has turned. I went out last night at about, oh, it must've been about seven or 8 PM, uh, went to meet some friends for dinner. And, and when I left the house, I thought, well, it's okay. You know, I went out in a t-shirt and I was, I was fine. By the time I got to where I was going, I was freezing, absolutely freezing. Thankfully I had a jacket in the car. Um, and today, uh, I went to uh, drop my little one off at school this morning and I had to take a jacket again. It's windy. There's a little bit of rain here in North London as well. Uh, so not the ideal conditions, but I guess that's it for us, right? Summer's over uh, here in the UK. Big hello to Frank, who says uh, uh, he's joining from Gothenburg in Sweden. Hope you're well, my friend. We've got Abdi who's joining us. He's on the way back from uni. Uh, on the bus uh, listening. He says it doesn't get better than that. Thank you, mate. You're you're too, too kind. Uh, Reefa mocking my intro. It was the worst intro uh, I've ever done, probably. Well, maybe not ever, but it's certainly up there in terms of the recent ones. All uh, right, let's, uh, let's dive into the content. Then without further ado, let's discuss what Arsenal's return to Champions League football means for the club. Arsenal are back. Arsenal are back dining at European football's top table, and I am buzzing. This is a competition that I really, really do adore, really, really do love. It's why I'm so annoyed at the fact that UEFA have decided to basically do Super League 2.0 in terms of the format next season. I, I think this is, as I say, the best competition in world football, and they're killing it by changing the format next season. Not a fan of the plan uh, moving forward, which makes it, even more important to me that we go far in it this year and that we get to experience it in full um, in its current format and in its current capacity. So um, that's that's the first point. I also feel like this is a competition that we've got unfinished business in as a football club. Now, obviously, we've never won the thing. We went to the final in 2006 where we were heartbroken by Barcelona in Paris. Um, the Invincibles, in my opinion, should have gone a lot further in this competition. And I think you know, if you, you focus on that Invincibles period, there's no doubt about it. We were the best team in Europe at that time, but we didn't really manage to, to show that on the continental stage. And that doesn't quite sit right with me. That still, to me, feels um, like a, a massive missed opportunity. I'm not going to say that there should be a black mark against the Invincibles' name because everything they achieved was fantastic. But if there was one, if you were being picky, if you were looking for something, that would be it for me. Um, but look, I think, the significance of being back in this competition for Arsenal as a football club is huge. I think that this is a competition that if you're a participant in it, let me start that again. If if you participate in this competition, you know, it's, it's massive for the club in so, so many ways. You want to be participating in it year in, year out. It's a competition that enhances our status as a football club, obviously brings clear financial reward. And it's a big sign, actually, of the progress that I think we've made over the last 24 months or so as a football club. But it's imperative that if you want to be considered as one of Europe's elite, that you are regular participants and you don't just get back in it for one year and fall out of it again or or, or spend two, three years in it. You want to be regular participants in this competition. Now, I think what we have to take into consideration is that that is harder to achieve in the Premier League, where there are more clubs, I would argue, than most other leagues that can get into the Champions League, that have A, the resource, B, the quality, C, the infrastructure, etc., etc. You know, you're seeing clubs like Brighton, um, you know, getting into the Europa League. And obviously their next step, if if they can make that jump, 
would be obviously to aim for the Champions League. You've seen Newcastle United, who have come out of nowhere, really, over the past sort of year and a half under Eddie Howe, under the new ownership, elevate themselves to a point where they're able to compete for the Champions League. And it's crazy because you think back to sort of the Wenger days and, and we were nailed on pretty much every season to be in the competition. Finishing fourth was an achievement because of some of the off-field issues that we were going through. It wasn't the trophy that some people like to claim it was and all the rest of it. But at that point, you know, you, you knew what you had to do and you knew that you stood a pretty good chance, even with limited resources, even with the constraints that Arsene Wenger was working under at times. We knew we could do it. And most of the time we did. Nowadays, though, you feel like it's more difficult. You know, there's no Tottenham in it. There's no Chelsea in it. There's no Liverpool in it. You know, there that, that's three of England's biggest clubs. There's no Chelsea in it. You know, there's there's clubs that traditionally would have been in contention for it that miss out. And that's going to happen every year because of the nature of this Premier League. So I, I don't think it's as easy and it's as much of a given as it would have been in years gone by for Arsenal to be in the Champions League. But it's certainly what we've got to be aiming for. We've got to be aiming to be regular participants. We've got to be aiming to be in this competition year in, year out. We're also um, likely to get a fifth Champions League spot next season, which kind of makes that a little bit easier because, of course, um, the, the increase in teams taking part from next season means that there's another spot up for grabs. And given England's performance in the coefficient rankings, it looks like that place is going to come to us. So it's very, very likely that we have a fifth Champions League spot, which helps in terms of that goal of being at Europe's top table, as I say, season after season. Um, but I, I just think that this is so significant for us. And listen, it's been a, a long road to get here. You know, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we haven't been in this competition since the 2016-17 season, which for a club of Arsenal size is, is just way too long. It goes to show that if you do fall out of it, it's not that easy. It's not that cut and dry to get straight back into it. We've seen clubs bounce back really well over the years and credit to them. But, you know, we kind of went on a bit of a downward spiral. I remember when we first participated in the Europa League thinking this doesn't feel right and it's OK, we'll be back in it next season or we could win this competition. I remember, I think the first season, if I'm not mistaken, we were beaten by Atletico Madrid in the semi-finals, weren't we? Um, and then the season after that was the season, I think, that we went to the final, um, if my memory serves me correctly. And we were beaten by Chelsea and comprehensively beaten. And I don't think even at that point, I believed that it would take this long for Arsenal to get back into the Champions League. We've done it now. We're here. But we're not just there to make up the numbers. You know, we are a side that went toe to toe with treble winning Manchester City last season. There's no reason for us to fear most of the teams on the continent. Yet you're always going to get those big juggernauts and, and the reputation that comes with them and the, the aura that comes with the likes of Real Madrid, for example, and your Barcelonas and your Bayern Munichs and, and all of that stuff. But in terms of levels, I think we should fancy our chances against pretty much everybody. The teams I'm most fearful of are the English teams. Now, some people will call me a Prem head for saying that, someone who believes that the Premier League is far superior. But I think that's been proven over the years. And listen, I'm not particularly comfortable with the idea of the Premier League having so much more finance than everybody else, that this disparity gets bigger and bigger. But it is the reality. And I think we have to accept that. Um, but yeah, look, 
Great to be back in. I'm going to take it all in tomorrow. I'm going to be down at Emirates Stadium nice and early. Uh, I've got plenty of work to be getting on with as well. Uh, some pre-match stuff during the game. I'll be covering the game for BBC Radio London. And for me, this is a massive privilege because not only do I get to see my club, the mighty Arsenal, back in the big time, back in the UEFA Champions League, under the lights, all the rest of it. But for me, from a professional standpoint, it's the first time I get to report in full on a UEFA Champions League game on the ground. And I am buzzing for that. I've worked really, really hard over the last few years to kind of, um, you know, make a career that I wanted. And and I'm not where I want to be yet by any stretch of the imagination. But I think it's important that when you're working towards something and you do have ups and downs, I have loads of ups and downs. I have days where I think this is all going really well. And I have days where I think it's all gone a bit stale and, and I don't know where I'm going. And, you know, can I do more? Could I do more? Should I have done more? Should I have achieved more, et cetera? Like, you have those days. And so because you have those days, it's really, really important, I think, that you stop and take in and enjoy milestone moments like this. And for me, this is one of them. Um, so I'm buzzing to get down to Arsenal tomorrow. I cannot wait. I, I really can't wait. Um, yeah. Oh, just yes, let's do it. Um, what can we expect from PSV Eindhoven? We're going to talk about them after this short pause. The Dutch side beat us in the Europa League last season, but are they the same side? in terms of their level, in terms of their quality. We'll get into all of that in just a moment. Hey, everybody. Welcome back along to the programme. Hope you're all good. Hope you are all well. OK, let's talk a little bit about PSV Eindhoven. Now, you'll remember that last week, um, those of you that are subscribed to the channel on YouTube, I sat down with the European football expert, the best in the business. He really, really is. Andy Brassel to preview Group B. And um, Andy gave us the download on Sevilla, PSV Eindhoven, and of course, Lorne's, all of whom we face in this group. Now, when I asked Andy about PSV Eindhoven, by the way, the link to this episode is in the description, so do check it out. When I asked Andy about PSV Eindhoven, um, the first thing he sort of referenced and, and sort of pointed out was the players that PSV have lost since we met them last season in the Europa League. And one departure in particular... I think, concerned him. And that was the departure of Xavi Simmons. Um, Andy Brassel said he was the best player in the Netherlands last season. And he's on his way to becoming the best player in the Bundesliga this season. He started the campaign really, really well. He also uh, referenced that Sangare has left the club. He was a key player for PSV. Obviously made that move to Nottingham Forest on deadline day. Obviously, Cody Gakpo is gone as well. Um, this is a very, very different side uh, from what I've gathered to the one that beat us in the Europa League group stage last season. Uh, a player to watch, a player to keep an eye on is Johan Bakayoko, uh, a right-sided winger who likes to cut in onto that left foot of his. Um, remember, Brentford offered very big money by their standards. I think it was about £35 million plus uh, to bring in Bakayoko at the end of the window. PSV were happy to accept the offer, but Bakayoko himself decided that he'd be better off staying uh, with the Dutch side and obviously that opportunity to play football in the Champions League clearly uh, meant a lot to him. He's a good um, good passer of the ball um, from what I've heard and, and read and, and been told. He provides an excellent service to De Jong who plays through the middle uh, for PSV Eindhoven. He's got a great change of pace and he's certainly one that we're going to need to uh, watch out for. Um, as I say, he's a right winger from what I understand. 
that plays on. Let me just double check that. I'm pretty sure he's a right winger uh, that plays um, obviously with his left foot and likes to cut inside onto that left foot. Let's just bring his profile up um, on uh, transfer market because I'm starting to doubt my own information here. Yeah, right winger who likes to come in on his left foot, which means he's going to be up against our left back. And we know that Arsenal like to push their left back into midfield. Um, we know that Arsenal like to, um, you know, play that way and that it means that the left centre-back often gets dragged into slightly different areas and has to sometimes cover the positions of two players. And so PSV, I'm sure, will be looking at that and looking to expose that. Andy Brassel also told me that Peter Bosch, the uh, the PSV Eindhoven coach, is somebody that, you know, he's not, I'm not going to say not a massive fan of, because that's probably not fair, but I think he he believes that Peter Bosch is quite limited in that he's got one way of playing, one style. He, he referenced a quote from Peter Bosch that wasn't too long ago when he was asked about whether he's got a plan B, and he said, no, plan B is to do plan A better. and And that, I think highlights the fact that Peter Bosch is, I'm not going to use the term limited, but maybe quite stubborn. And often, you know, those philosophical managers that want to embed a philosophy and, and are very unwilling to bend on that or change that in any way, shape or form can be successful because they instill a culture. And when everything clicks and everybody understands their role, it works great. But often we see managers who you know, can be a little bit stubborn and play into the hands of other sides. Now, l listen, it's the UEFA Champions League. So there's always a part of me that thinks this is elite level competition. Surely PSV Eindhoven aren't going to be that naive and walk into the traps that Arsenal set. But looking into it a bit more after I had that conversation with Andy, I do think PSV very much have one way of playing. And I think that as long as we can impose our game, I don't think we should have any problems in this one. Um, remember when we met them last time, Ruud van Nistelrooy was the coach, the old enemy. Um, remember him? Uh, he was the coach at that point. He's no longer at the club due to a falling out with the club, not because he was not good enough or sacked or anything like that. Well, he might have technically been sacked, but that was because Ruud van Nistelrooy and he, uh, has Ruud van Nistelrooy saw his relationship with the club break down uh, for a number of reasons. Um, look, as I've said, I think PSV's style of play and system will probably suit us, but you can never sleep on anybody in this competition because it is Europe's premier competition and everybody is at a, a very, very high level. You can check out the group preview um, with Andy Brassel on our YouTube channel. As I say, the link is in the description. We're going to take another very, very brief pause and then we're going to discuss our history in the competition with PSV Eindhoven. <laughs> So Arsenal and PSV Eindhoven have met on six previous occasions in the UEFA Champions League. Two Arsenal wins, three draws and one PSV Eindhoven win. Now, if you think back to last season, our most recent meeting, although that wasn't in the Champions League, of course, that was in the Europa League. We beat them 1-0 at Emirates Stadium in the Europa League group stage, but we lost 2-0 uh, to them on our travel. So a dangerous side albeit there's been some changes to the team and all the rest of it, but I think they're, they're still a dangerous opponent and one that we should be wary of, if nothing else. Listen, we should be confident. We should be ready to go out and play our game. We're going to get onto the team in a minute because I think we probably will see a few changes. And I'm confident that we have the players um, in the makeup of our squad 
to be able to do that without it dramatically impacting our level, which is a positive thing. Um, but I, I keep going back to this point. It's the Champions League. We haven't played at this level for a long, long time. So it would be wrong of us to go in with any hint of arrogance or uh, overconfidence. You know, these are sides that are dangerous. They're in this competition for a reason. And they have all of the tools and all of the weaponry. And we've already highlighted Johan Bakayoko as one of their main threats to cause you problems. If we go over um, or back over to um, Transfer Mark, then I'm just going to go on to the PSV Eindhoven profile page. Let me go over to the statistics section. Um, I know you can't always gauge how good or dangerous a player is based on statistics alone, but... Luke de Jong has got nine goals uh, in nine matches at centre forward. Noah Lang, um, who joined the club from, from Club Bruges, a player that we've been linked with in the past, has got four goals in seven games. Uh, Joey Veerman from central midfield has got three in nine. Ishmael Saibari, uh, three goals to his name. Just looking through these statistics, it really does look as though PSV Eindhoven spread the goals out throughout their team. And obviously... That makes them dangerous. Obviously, that means that we can't afford to be focused solely on one particular threat. It isn't about nullifying one player and therefore Bob's your uncle and you've done it and you've you've you know you've got the situation under control. So um yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a, a difficult game, at least in theory. Uh, there's a part of me that thinks that if we're at it, we can go out and beat them three, four nil. Like I honestly feel that way. But at the same time, we've been burnt in Europe before. We've been burnt in the Champions League before. We've been caught napping at times before, albeit quite a while ago and with a different team. I just, I, if there's one thing I've learned about this competition over the years, it's it's um, don't get ahead of yourself. So I won't be. I won't be. Right. Um, we're going to talk uh, a little bit about our team selection. Um, what is the uh, best way to approach this game? Uh, remember, as I mentioned earlier on at the time of recording, Arteta, is uh, yet to face the media. So the question um, that we're going to ask at the moment is uh, to rotate or not to rotate? That is the big question. I just want to take this one quickly, actually, from um, Ian, who um, is uh, is in the live chat at the moment. He says, coming, coming from a Rangers fan who PSV put out in the qualifying, Arsenal should have far too much for them, in all honesty. An Arsenal B team should be beating them. Wow. Um, that makes me feel good, but I'm still not going to get carried away. Um, look, I go back to that question, to rotate or not to rotate. That is the question. I think we will see some rotation. I think we should see some rotation. We've got the North London derby coming up at the weekend. Huge, huge game. Massive game for us. Because not only are we in this situation where we almost have to win every single week in the league because we're trying to chase Manchester City, who we know are pretty much flawless or as close to flawless as possible, treble winners last season, as I mentioned earlier on. You know, we also want to get off to a good start in this group. So I'm not going to sit here and say we should be making five, six, seven changes. But I think three, maybe even four changes are on the cards here. We know that Gabriel Martinelli is a doubt for this one. Again, we haven't had that confirmed that he's definitely out, although the likelihood of him being available, judging by the way he went off the other day, is 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 very unlikely. I just think that you know, yeah, three four changes is fine 
the minute you go to more than that, I think you're you're risking upsetting the rhythm, upsetting the balance. And although the performance at Everton has come under fire from some people, actually, who claimed that we weren't very entertaining, I thought it was a really controlling and dominant performance. And I thought at times we clicked brilliantly. We moved the ball excellently. And I don't want to see too much disruption to the side, therefore potentially uh, impacting and disrupting that. I'm going to share with you guys my screen now and present to you uh, the team that I would go with. Now, again, I don't know what Mikel Arteta's intentions are. And again, I'll caveat this with the fact that we haven't had his press conference yet. But for me, um, the team I would go with... Hold on a second. Why is this coming up like that? There we go. There we go. Um, so the team I would go with uh, looks like this. Aaron Ramsdale would come back in goal for me. Lots of debate around his future today. How predictable. We got a report this morning or last night uh, from one of the newspapers saying that a number of clubs were monitoring Aaron Ramsdale. What? Because he's missed one game. For God's sake. There was another report saying that there were internal concerns about the way Aaron Ramsdale started the season. I mean, I didn't see those stories coming. But anyway, Aaron Ramsdale would come back in goal for me. I think he deserves to play in the Champions League. He was a big part of us uh, working our way back into that competition. And um, and I think, yeah, he, he should come in. I think he's earned that right. My back four would be White, Saliba, Kivior and Zinchenko. Look, Zinchenko is one of those players that I want to wrap up in cotton wool because I know how injury prone he is and we know how important he is to this team. And, and since we lost Jurian Timber to injury, Zinchenko's importance increased even more. So there's a part of me that doesn't really want him to play because... I'm worried about him potentially picking up a knock that sees him miss a big game at the weekend in the North London derby. But equally, I don't really want to see Tommy Asu coming in and being asked to go into midfield and, and dictate play in the way that Zinchenko does, because I just don't think he's got that in his locker. Gabriel looked a little bit leggy to me towards the end of the game against Everton. Um, and I know that he's still building up his minutes at the start of the season because obviously he didn't start the first few games, went away with Brazil, picked up a bit of a knock, didn't he? Started a game a few days later, but was he 100% fully recovered? I don't know. I think you can play Jakub Kivior at centre-back alongside William Saliba this one, and that in this one, and that's fine. As long as you keep the core of your back four, as long as you've got three of the back four uh, that you would say are first choice, then I'm okay with that. So Jakub Kivior and Aaron Ramsdale would be the two changes I make in defence. Moving into midfield, again, in the absence of Thomas Partey, Declan Rice is too important to leave out of the side. Again, I'd love to wrap him up in cotton wool. And the same could be said of Martin Odegaard going into uh, the game, uh, of course, uh, at the weekend. But for me, those two have to play. I would take Fabio Vieira out and I'd put Kai Havertz in. Um, I think it was the right decision to leave Kai Havertz out at the weekend. But I really do feel like on the European stage could be where he builds that confidence to kickstart his Arsenal career. And, and I'm, you know, I'm desperate for that to happen. I'm desperate to see him get a goal or something that just ignites that bit of confidence in him that has, you know, in my opinion, just faded in the last few weeks, maybe because of the pressure he's under, maybe it's just his, his body language and all the rest of it. But I just feel like he needs something. And the more time he's on the pitch, the more likely he is, to have that moment that, as I say, kickstarts his Arsenal career. So I would put Kai Havertz into the side. Leandro Trossard uh, should stay in the team for me. 
because of course he he made that massive impact you know at Everton the other day coming on replacing Gabriel Martinelli listen I don't think that he was brilliant for the entire game by the way um Leandro Trossard but he scored that goal which breeds confidence I would continue with Enketia through the middle up front and the reason for that for me is because I want Jesus to start the North London derby that's why not because I don't think Jesus is better not because I don't want Jesus to play in this game there might be an argument that Jesus needs the minutes maybe Mikel Arteta goes into this one with a plan of 60-30 give Enketia 60 minutes give Gabriel Jesus, 30 minutes towards the end to, to help build him up a little bit more ahead of the game at the weekend. But I would prioritise the North London derby over this because I think this is a fixture that is more winnable with these changes and with this side. Maybe the rhythm won't be 100%. Maybe in making these changes, we're going to be a little bit disjointed, but I still think we have the quality on the pitch to beat these without coming across as arrogant or any of the rest of it. I, I think that we're more likely to beat these without being at 100% than we are against an informed Spurs side under Ange Postacoglu in a derby. The feel-good factor around Tottenham is massive at the moment, and that could play a big, big part. So, yeah, I, I think this is the team I'd go with. Bukayo Saka, again, I, I'd consider leaving him out, but we don't have anybody else. And without Martinelli as well, I'm even less sort of open to this idea. Listen, I hope that the Martinelli injury is not long-term. Um, there's a couple of you putting in uh, some interesting comments in this. Uh, Rizo says, I would start uh, Emil Smith-Rowe and put Kai Havertz in at centre-forward. That's an interesting shout. MM says, Zinchenko versus Bakayoko. That's a no for me. Um, Rizo also says, what about Jesus at right wing to give Bukayo Saka a rest? That's not a bad shout. Um, we've talked about that option. Uh, Reese Nelson could also play a part, says Ray Beam. Gunner Tings uh, mentions Jorginho, who's another good, safe option for a fixture like this, I think. So we've got options. I expect there to be changes. I don't know how many, but if it were me picking the team right now, I would go with Ramsdale in goal. My back four would be White, Saliba, Kivior and Zinchenko. Rice, Havertz and Odegaard will be my midfield with Trossard, Enketia and Saka as my forward line. You've got Jesus to bring on. You've got Vieira to bring on. Tommy Asu's an option. We don't know the deal with Martinelli at this stage, uh, but that's what I'd go with. So how many changes is that? Ramsdale, Kivior, Havertz, um, and obviously Trossard, but that one is an enforced change. So four changes to the 11 that started uh, for me up at Goodison Park. That's what I would do, but feel free to let me know in the comments if you do uh, things differently, and, and if so, what? In terms of my prediction, I'm going to go for a 2-0 Arsenal win. As I say, looking at the rotational options and looking at the fact that I don't think we've really clicked that well at the start of this season anyway, I'm not expecting us to go and put five or six past them. We could, we're capable, we're good enough, we've got the quality. But for me, at this moment in time, you just get off the mark in the group. You just pick up the three points and you move forward. And that's really, really important. So my prediction is going to be Arsenal 2 uh, PSV Eindhoven nil. Right. If you've got any thoughts, any questions ahead of this one, get them in the chat box. Now we're going to take a really, really short pause and then we're going to turn our attention to those. Uh, don't forget to leave a like on the video, subscribe, all the rest of it. And if you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review back in a moment. 
How's it going? Hope you're all good. Welcome back to the show. It's the Chronicles of Aguna. It's our first Champions League preview show uh, of the season. Brilliant stuff. That sounds good saying that, doesn't it? Um, I'm going to point out a match as well across or a couple of matches that I would suggest you watch. Um, if you are at home chilling, watching Champions League football uh, over the course of this next couple of days, one of my suggestions is obviously going to be the Bayern Munich against Manchester United match, but that is on at the same time as ours. So no Arsenal fans going to watch that. But uh, a game to keep your eye on tonight, I think is going to be really, really interesting, is the game between Milan and Newcastle United. Um, that's going to be a cracker. I'm really, really looking forward to that. I've just heard before coming live on this stream that a Newcastle United fan was stabbed uh, in Milan um, last night. Now, the police say that we don't know if it was football related. Hopefully it isn't. Um, but regardless of whether it is or it isn't, you never want to hear of someone going to watch a football match and and being in danger. So our thoughts are with, uh, with that fan, his family, um, because... As I say, you know, nobody should should feel afraid when going to a football match. Nobody should be in danger when attending a football match. And um, it's really sad to hear stories like that. And I'd imagine for a lot of Newcastle fans, including that guy, his family, etc. Just, I mean, you would have been looking forward to this occasion for such a long time. And something like that has, has killed it and ruined it. And thankfully, the guy is stable. And that's the main thing. But. You, know, you never want to hear of stories like that. Whatever um, tribalism exists in football, I, I never want to hear stories like that f with anybody's life being in danger or anybody being hurt. So um, thoughts uh, are with him and his friends and family, of course, uh, who will be worried at this moment in time. Temi says, why can't Emil Smith-Rowe start this match? Well, he could, but I don't think he will. I've seen nothing to suggest that he's far enough up the pecking order at the moment in Mikel Arteta's eyes to, for him to start this game. Now, I could be wrong, and, and maybe Mikel Arteta springs a bit of a surprise and, and puts him in the team. But it's clear that Fabio Vieira is ahead of him in that left eight position, which is the position that everybody said that Emil Smith-Rowe was going to morph into playing for this season. It's clear that Kai Havertz is ahead of him as well, based on selection so far this season. So that's why I haven't put Emil Smith-Rowe in the side. I'm not saying he can't play, but I've got no evidence to suggest that he's even in the thinking at the moment. Uh, let's take this one from uh, Junior Gunner, who says, is there an unwillingness from Arteta to not have us start games fast and overwhelm teams like last season to conserve energy for the business end of the season? Because we don't look as dynamic or fluid at all. I don't know if it's a deliberate thing, um, you know, and I, I guess we'll never know because nobody's going to tell us. But I have thought about it quite a bit at the start of this season. Whenever I've spoken to sort of colleagues that cover other clubs and things like that, one of the um, one of the questions I get asked quite a bit is, what do you make of Arsenal so far? They haven't really clicked yet, have they? And the thing is, look, we've picked up, you know, we've only dropped two points basically in the league. And that came from that result against Fulham, a game that we should have won. No questions about it. When you look at the balance of play, all the rest of it, we should have won that game. So. Like, there's a part of me that thinks, yeah, that's correct. We haven't really clicked and we haven't really got going. But there's also a part of me that thinks that might be a good thing in the long run if we're able to hit our peak at a point that's closer to the business end of the season. That could be beneficial. 
But obviously, I don't know that the fact we haven't clicked or that we look a little bit slower in our pace and tempo at the start of this season is a deliberate thing. So I can't give anybody credit for that, nor should I. But yeah, it's um, it, it's it's difficult to know, isn't it? What's deliberate, what's not, what's off the back of an adjustment in the way that we train or that we play in order to try and preserve energy. I think Mikel Arteta is someone that learns lessons and learns them quickly. And I don't know if that's what, or that's the type of thing they'd have been thinking about going into this season off the back of how we fell away last time out. But if they were thinking along those lines, I wouldn't be surprised. Matt Tomo says, how do you feel about the treatment of Harry Maguire? This one's a bit random. Do you feel any connection with him because you share a name? No, um, no, I don't. Not at all. Uh, the treatment of Maguire, I think some of it's over the top. Um, I don't think he's a very good centre-half. I don't think he's good enough for Manchester United. I don't think he's good enough for England. So I understand why people are unhappy with his inclusion in the team. But I do think some of it's gone too far. And and actually, I'm looking at Gareth Southgate now in particular and thinking, just take him out of the firing line. You know, why are you picking him and putting him in this position? I've said this before. I think for Gareth Southgate, there's probably a little bit of of wanting to be defiant in this because he went through a similar thing after Euro 96, centre-back that was ridiculed, et cetera, et cetera. It's probably a part of him that goes, no, I wish someone stuck up for me, so I'm going to stick up for Harry Maguire. I don't know. Okay. Um, Wesbird says, looking at our start in general and our stats so far, what do you want to see improve or change going into this Champions League and Premier League season, either with regards to the manager or with the team in general? Um. I want to see us play with a bit more zip and tempo at times. I think that at times, you know, yeah, we move the ball around nicely, but it doesn't have that same tempo that it did last season at points. Um, I want to see us defend better. I think that we've become quite slack defensively. Obviously, we got the clean sheet up at Goodison Park the other day. We kept the clean sheet at Crystal Palace, which was good. But we conceded goals far too easily. Um against Fulham. I didn't like the goal that we conceded against Manchester United. So, yeah, and obviously we conceded against Forest on the opening weekend. So I want to see us tighten up a little bit defensively. Um, and I think, you know, there were reasons for that maybe because we were playing this system whereby we only had Saliba in the side rather than Saliba and Gabriel. We formed a great partnership last season. But I think defensively is the bit that I'm a little bit concerned about. In terms of the attack, I think we will click. I'm not too worried about that. Um, but yeah, the, the the thing I'm desperate to see, as I've already touched on, is, is just Kai Havertz come good. Uh, Stephen Foote says, Harry, why do some Arsenal pods put a negative spin on things, even though we have not lost thoughts? Everybody just analyzes football differently. You know, everybody has their opinion. And, and that's the great thing about this space in football, I guess. But, you know, some people will look at the performances so far and, and be concerned because they're comparing it to us when we were at our peak level last season. Others will look at it and say, well, as long as we're picking up results, that's the priority. And, and maybe it's because we haven't clicked into gear just yet and it's early in the season and all the rest of it. We started last season so convincingly that, you know, if you make that comparison, naturally you're going to be underwhelmed. But I just like to think that, you know, we've we've got better as a football team. We've learned lessons. We're older, wiser, more mature. The same can be said of the manager. It's not just about the players when I say that. And um, and I think that we will be competitive again this season. And, and you know, if we peak at different times, but that prevents a dip coming at the business end of the season, then I'm fine with that. 
And I'm fine with us being a little bit less attractive on the eye as long as we are getting the results and our dominance, which is something that Mikel Arteta is so big on in terms of imposing ourselves, as long as that, um, you know, continues, then I think we'll win more games than we we don't. And it's as simple as that. And for me, there's um, there's reason to be optimistic and, and happy with what we've seen so far. Going to take one final question. This one's from Noonan, who says, can Emirates' capacity be increased? Do we have the ability to do so? I'm struggling to get any tickets for any home games. So, look, I think generally speaking, uh, this is going to be controversial. I know there'll be people listening to this that don't like this. I don't think that the capacity at Emirates Stadium needs to increase. I think it's fine at what it is at 60,000. I think that's about right for a club of our size. You don't want a stadium that isn't full up every week. Um, and I always think back to like three, four years ago when everybody was so disinterested and I used to turn up at a Europa game and they'd put on the board that there was 58,000 or whatever, but there was probably not even more than 38, 40,000 there. I always think back to those times and think, you know, that's why we don't need to increase the Emirates Stadium because we will go through periods where 60,000 is too much based on the level of interest. And there's been a couple of times as well, even over last season and at the start of this season, where, you know, I've, I'm obviously working at the games, right? And me and my brother, we, we came to an agreement this season that, you know, he can take on my season ticket for a lot of the games because, you know, I'm working and so my season ticket's there. Um but there's been other times where the ticket's been going, it's been available. And I've messaged like four or five close mates who often tell me, oh, you know, I, I want to go, but I can't get tickets. And every time I've offered the ticket up, there's been an excuse. Like it's not to go. I think there are loads of people like yourself, Noonan, that are desperate to go. Um, and And I hope that you get tickets and I hope that you find tickets. And there are lots of people out there as well that give it the lip service. But when it comes down to it, actually making that commitment of traveling and and all the rest of it, that they're not actually as interested as they say they are. And um, and that's why I think that there's probably not a need at this stage for Emirates Stadium to be um, made bigger, for its capacity to be increased. I think if we get three, four years down the line and we're still in this position where the ticketing situation is difficult and people are struggling to get tickets and all the rest of it, then fine, it's something that we can talk about. But I don't I don't think right now, if I were the football club, I'd even be considering it. You'd rather have a full stadium where there's big demand than a big old stadium where there are empty seats and you're struggling to shift them. That's how the club will look at it because it's not just about the value financially of of selling more tickets the fact that the tickets are so valuable right now and a gold dust that's a great thing for the club and it shows the club in a great light i appreciate that there are loads of you that if i did offer you a ticket you'd go straight away and you'd come down straight away and you'd do whatever you could to make it happen but believe me if you're going by just what you read on twitter there are a lot of people on there that complain about it week in week out but if you offer them a ticket they probably wouldn't take it and maybe that's because of financial reasons or because of work or whatever. But I think, I think, yeah, I think that for every person that says I want a ticket and would go if that ticket was there, there's a person that says I want a ticket. But when it comes to actually committing to going, maybe because they live further away or they have to take time off work, 
would not take it up. So that's why I don't think the need is as big as some people think. Um, again, that's not aimed at any individuals. And for those of you that really do want the tickets and, and really will use them and go, I wish you all the best generally. I wish you all the best and I hope you can get tickets for the games that you want to attend. But believe me when I say, not just within my friend circle, but outside of that as well, there are a lot of people that give it and will be the first ones on Twitter to have a go at the club and say, this ticketing system is a nonsense and all the rest of it. But when it comes to it, they probably wouldn't go. And the other thing is, how can the club win on the balloting system? You know, they can't because there's no way of keeping the amount of people that want tickets happy. There's just no physical way of doing it. It's a really complex issue um, and far more complex than I think people, you know, would, would care to admit. So, yeah, look, it's not ideal. I know that. Um, and I do have sympathy for a lot of people. But at the same time, I think there are a lot of people, um, as I say, that that give it the lip service. But when it comes to actually making that financial commitment or time commitment would would back away. And therefore, if you go and increase the capacity of the stadium and then you're struggling to shift an extra five, seven thousand tickets every week, the club will feel that that's not worth it because it means there's empty seats, the optics are bad, all the rest of it. And um, yeah. Anyway. Right. Cool. I'm going to leave it there. Uh, I just realize I've annoyed a few people with those comments, but it's just the way I feel. I'm being honest. That's what I'm here to do. Anyway, I'm going to leave uh, you guys to it. I will see you all tomorrow with uh, some more content as we continue our build up uh, to the Champions League. And of course, we'll bring you some reaction from that game against PSV Eindhoven tomorrow night. Hopefully we're talking about a return to the competition uh, with three points on the board for the Gunners. Like the video, subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. If you're listening on audio, leave us a review as well. Remember, you can check out our Group B preview with Andy Brassel. The link is in the description. I'll see you all next time. Until then, take care. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.